Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. We're continuing with our series this morning, part two of managing our money. It's extremely important for us to have the wisdom to manage money because when you don't manage money well, not only are you broke or in debt, but you're unhappy. And we often think that people with loads of money just happen to be lucky. But the reason they ended up with lots of money is because they managed their money properly and they taught their children how to manage money properly. When I was growing up and I'd ask my mom for money, she'd say to me, do you think I'm Rockefeller or something? And it was the way she would tease us. And I never knew who Rockefeller was until I got older, discovered he was one of the great millionaires, billionaires of America, who at the turn of the last century uh, had a family business and was very successful. He said, in, in once being interviewed, he said, I always was afraid that money would spoil my children. So you know what he did? Instead of just giving them loads of money because now he's rich and they're all rich, he got each of his children every week to keep a ledger of how they spent their money. Those who were accurate, who kept good ledger, he'd give them five cents as a reward. And uh, that'd be equivalent to about 500 rand today. But those who didn't keep accurate records with the ledger were fined five cents. When his children eventually grew up and they wanted to enter various areas of business and do various projects, he lent them money at the going rate of interest to teach them responsibility. You see, sometimes we think the rich are just lucky. No, they manage their money carefully. And we need to manage our money carefully. Money is an extremely powerful thing. It's also an extremely emotional thing. Have you noticed? Some of you are already uncomfortable as the message has only just started. They say that we have many nerves in our body, but the most sensitive nerve in your body is the one that runs from your brain to your wallet. <laughs> and last week I spoke about how money either has power over you or it gives power to you. It's either your servant or it's your master. And when you get free from money challenges and you're in a position of strength, there's a joy that comes into your life. And people think that if I could just earn a little bit more. No, that's not true. Because the more you earn, the more you spend. It's managing correctly what you currently have that'll bring joy to you and honor to God. And if you can't manage what you currently have, why should God entrust you with more? Isn't that true? You know, some of us are under the illusion that if we could just have a little bit more money, then we'd really be happy. But John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much is enough money? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Jesus put it like this when speaking about money. He, he said it was more than, than financial. In, in, Mark's, in Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 34, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, it's a heart issue when you're dealing with money, not just a practical issue. And John Paul Getty, who in his uh, memoirs wrote about his life and his money, very unhappy man, even though very wealthy, they kidnapped his grandson. And uh, in his memoirs, he said he had tried to live by his father's credo, and I think it's a good credo for us as Christians. 
He said this, his father's credo, it's not how much money a man has, it's what he does with it that counts. You see, whether you, whether you have a lot or a little, it's what you do with it. And, and you spend your money on what you value, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what do you value today? I can tell what people value by looking at their bank accounts. I don't even need to know. You can be a stranger. Show me your bank account. I'll show you what you value. I'll show you where your heart is. And often we value material things more than we value God. We value entertainment. That's why we spend money on eating out and movies and Netflix and DSTV and whatever. Not wrong, but make sure we're not spending money on that only. That there is room for God. Don't just spend money on clothing and shoes and, 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 and outfits. It's great to look good, but not just make sure that God is first. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And make sure you manage your money wisely. Don't spend money you don't have. Don't put a value on something that's so high that you're going to end up paying for it for weeks and weeks afterwards. Because a credit card is always paying for the past, never for the future. And I want to speak to you next week on wisdom with money. Because we really need wisdom. But today I want to focus on on, on how we manage our money and some of the myths surrounding money. In fact, I entitled the message today, Myths About Money. And we're going to look at seven in just a moment because people have many misconceptions and myths or misconceptions are literally lies about money. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. How I many of you know we need to be free today? Now, I don't know if you've realized it, but the very first issue after the fall of man was an issue of giving. Right in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve took something they shouldn't have. It was a, they took something that God said no. He blessed them with so much. Now second come Ab Cain and Abel, and they have an issue with giving. And I want us to read it this morning as our foundation verse, and then we'll look at seven myths about money. Genesis chapter four and verse one to seven. Now it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Can I just say, that's God's plan. You don't have sex, you make love to your wife or to your husband. You don't have sex with someone and end up with a child. I could just preach on that verse alone. <laughs> Some people say that it'll be less painful than money. But he made love to his wife, a child was the product, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Notice the one had flocks, the other one was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, vegetables and fruit, as an offering to the Lord. Very nice of him, you think. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. He brought an animal. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Can we just pause here for a moment? Do you know that God is looking on your giving either with favor or disfavor? God looks at what we give and there's an approval or disapproval. The Bible says, so Cain was very angry because this seemed unfair to him and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, and here's where we get the, the understanding of the story. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, there's the key, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you or control you, but you must rule over it. You see, when you first read the story, you can think that God is unfair. Shame. They each brought what they had. What kind of God are you that you're ungrateful? But the Lord had taught them what to bring. He had told them they needed to bring a tithe, and he had told them they needed to bring blood. But because Cain had very few flocks, he thought, no, I've only got a few. Abel's got a lot. It's easy for him to give to the church, but when it comes to me, I'll give what I can. So he brought something instead of what God required. I wonder how many people in the room are giving something because it suits you, and when you look at other people, you think, they've got so much, they can give to the church, but I'm gonna bring something. Well, God was unhappy because God prescribes our giving. It's the first 10%, and at that time, it was meant to be a blood sacrifice from the flocks. You see, we don't just give according to what we think, we give according to what God thinks. And right in the beginning, it brought strife into the world, it brought tension between brothers, it brought murder to the family of humanity, and it brought strife into their household. And the first murder, if you like, was all over money and acceptance. And isn't that the truth today? Everything we fight over is about money and acceptance. So let's look at some money myths, because when we have sound thinking about money, which Cain didn't have, then we'll understand properly what God requires of us. The first myth or, or, or lie that people believe about money is money doesn't matter. You'll hear people say, money doesn't matter. No, it does. It does. If you think money doesn't matter, ask the wife who's trying to feed her family. Ask the husband who's trying to look after his family and pay the bills. Ask the student who's trying to pay for their loans. Ask the business per person who's trying to do business where the money matters. Ask the government. Maybe we should just leave that one. But ask people who are dealing with important needs where the money matters. They'll tell you money is very important. In fact, money is powerful. And it's like sitting on dynamite and saying, oh, dynamite doesn't matter. No, that's crazy. Money matters. It can either damage or it can build. And it's extremely important for us to understand. Notice what Proverbs says about money, how powerful money is. It says a person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. When you don't have money, it really affects your life. And so to accumulate wealth puts you in a position of strength. Isn't that true? Let me give you three things about money under this heading this morning that, 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 that we must take seriously. We must take money seriously because money's powerful. Number one, it enables us to do what we want to do, not what we have to do. When you've got money, you can do what you want to. You can go to places you want to. You can live where you want to. You can drive what you want to. You can eat what you want to. You can wear what you want to. Isn't that a place of strength? How can you say it doesn't matter? No, it does matter. And it matters to God, and it should matter to you. What does Rivers Church want to do? Or do we have to do what we have to do? No, we can feed over 70,000 meals a week. Why? Because we have money, and that money makes a difference. It's not just prayer and services. It's money that makes the church advance. Are you with me this morning? And so our authority is revealed through money. Number two, it provides us with the power of choice. Don't you like choices? It's nice to have choice instead of always buying the cheapest. Now, the cheapest is sometimes good, a good buy, and buying expensive is not always wise, but it's great to have the power of choice. 
It was wonderful to be able to choose the Kyle Army building instead of renting somewhere in a hotel. Money gave us that choice. The Holy Spirit didn't speak to the, the owner and say, give it to Rivers. No, God's people managed their money and we managed it and money mattered. And as a result, we could do what we want to do and we have the power of choice. Isn't that wonderful? People say money doesn't matter. Well, Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, if you would know the value of money, go and try and borrow some. People think money doesn't matter. Well, go and try and borrow some. See how easily they give it to you. Now, money matters. Number three, it's an instrument of dominion. When you have money, you can dominate. Now, you think that in a negative light, but in a positive light, you can rule because money gives you authority. That's why the Jewish people have always been attacked because they've learned Bible principles from the Old Testament, the wisdom of God, and guess what? Wherever they go, they prosper. Wherever they go, they rise to the top. Winston Churchill wrote the history of English-speaking peoples, and in his volumes, you know what he talks about? He talks about the 13th century Jews in England that dominated. They came with little, they built themselves up, and they dominated through their money, and they became a threat. So people started persecuting them way before Hitler even arrived on the scene. In Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, he talks about how the Jews, and he criticizes them, he says, you can find Jews everywhere, and they start with little, and before you know it, they're in control of everything. What a credit. But they do it because they live by God's principles, and surely Christians should understand the same. Instead of saying, oh, money doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Matters to your family. Matters to the country. Matters to God's church. Are you with me? And we've got to realize the devil always wants to keep us away from that which will strengthen us. Didn't he right from the beginning try and get Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from the resources? And how did he get them away from the resources? By taking. You'll always be deprived of resources when you take what you shouldn't. But if you want resources, you give. And God opens doors. And believers miss out on salvation and understanding the Bible properly. When the prodigal son squandered all his money and he came back home, he didn't just get sympathy from his father. He didn't just say, oh, shame, my boy. Well, at least you're home. The Bible says this, that he put a robe on his son. That speaks of forgiveness of sins and dignity and a new position in the family. And that's what God gives us in Christ. We have a robe of righteousness, but it didn't stop there. They put a ring on his finger. Why? Because the ring had a signet on it. And when you pressed it into sealing wax, that was how you bought in those days. It was like a checkbook. So it's not good enough just to be saved by the blood. We need some authority to have resources. And then we get sandals on our feet so we can move forward in the things of God. Joseph was given a signet ring when he was made prince of Egypt. You can't rule without finance. You can't rule without resources. It's an instrument of dominion. And Christians need to know that money matters and that they should use it. I love what Margaret Thatcher years ago said about resources. She said, no one would remember the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Isn't that the truth? When Drivers Church could just be on the corner somewhere and have good intentions and be loving, but with money we can make a difference. We can go on television. In fact, we can live stream to Kailami and from Kailami to Santon. But what most people don't know, that live stream costs us licensing money in dollars every month that we have to send to America so that we have this link up and live and it doesn't drop. Guess what? It costs money. 
Life by Design on television. The ETV doesn't say we like your face. No, you have to pay. And in that way, we can rule the airwaves. Every morning when people get up on a Friday, on a Saturday on TVN, they can see the program. We can invade their homes. It's a form of good dominion where we can build people for Christ. Now you're sitting here saying, oh yeah, I've heard all about Rivers Church. I've seen it's all about the money. And now I come here and you're preaching on the money. Don't misunderstand our emphasis on money. Don't judge us incorrectly. I'm gonna quote from my own book this morning. It's called Money Matters. Listen carefully. In my book, I said this some years ago. I believe that without a sound understanding of money, the church is severely limited in its ability to advance, expand, and impact the world. It takes money to reach people, feed people, help people, and equip people. By dealing with the subject of money so openly, it could appear that we are money-driven, but the truth is we are people-driven and realize we cannot effectively help people without money. Without serious amounts of money, large amounts of people cannot easily be helped and impacted. Isn't that the truth, church? You see, so it's a myth to say that money doesn't matter. Number two, people say this, and it's a myth, money is evil. No, it's not. God created it. He put gold in the Garden of Eden. And if you study Genesis, he said it is very good. Money is good if used correctly. And we mustn't see money as evil. Think of water and think of fire today. Water and fire are essential for life. Water keeps us from dehydrating and we can't do anything without water. It sustains life. Fire warms you. If you don't have fire where it's freezing, you can freeze to death. Both of those are gifts from God, but when they're not correctly managed, water can destroy a community, can wash it away. Fire can burn down shacks and burn down homes, and people lose everything. You see, we have to correctly manage what God gives. Don't call something evil just because you're not managing it. And in our world today, people are so quick to criticize to criticize rich people. I want to tell you this this morning. Don't miss this. The devil wants you to hate rich people because whatever you hate, you'll never have. Political systems, opinions, go online. You'll always hear the rich spoken of in a disparaging fashion. You don't say people who stole their money who are rich. No, just rich people in general. Do you know a lot of rich people have built their wealth from scratch? So why is there that something in us that the devil uses and the lie that we're told, money is evil? No, 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 money's not evil, people are evil. And politics and opinion are getting us to hate the rich and to hate the wealthy when it's exactly what we need to change our world. What's South Africa's problem at the moment at ESCOM? What's the problem at SAA? Money. What are the problem with all the municipalities? Money. And what is it? Not the lack of it, the mismanagement of it. I read an interesting quote by Sam Wiley. He was an American businessman worth 1.1 billion. And this was his observation. He said, I think it's good politics to beat up on big companies and rich people. In other words, if you're a politician and you really want to be good at it, keep criticizing companies and keep criticizing rich people and you'll have lots of people voting for you. But that's because people are ignorant. They believe the myth that money is evil. How many you know rich people are not just rich by accident, it's intentional. Big companies aren't big overnight, they start small. 
and sacrifices are made. So we've got to be very careful. The Bible tells us, and I'll remind you, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not money, it's not capitalism, it's people who are greedy. It's people who are selfish. You see, it's like sex. Sex and money, they're two gifts of God. But if you don't use them correctly, guess what happens? You damage your life. Sex is a gift. You can't say sex is evil. Some people say she took the apple and it wasn't really an apple. She had sex and that's where the problem. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Sex is a gift from God, but it's got boundaries. And money's a gift from God, but it's got boundaries. God wants you to have abundance, but not be selfish and arrogant and full of yourself and use it for identity and use it to have power over people to hurt them. See, that's not what God intends. The early church did not expand just with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Acts. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of generosity of God's people. Barnabas sold a field. The people brought to, came together and brought money. And the early church kicked off with the power of the Spirit and with money. And it's no different today. We can have anointed worship, anointed preaching, but we need money as well. Can you say amen? Number three, the third myth that people believe about money is my money is mine. And the answer to it is, no, it's not. You see, we worked for it. We sweated for it. We were wise and we used our ingenuity or our talent or our education. But the Bible teaches us that it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy chapter eight. And we are taught in the Bible through all the parables of Jesus that we are stewards, not owners managers not owners and we're actually working on God's behalf while we're on the earth how many realize when we die we can't even take our bodies to heaven you can't take it you can't even take a gold ring with you let alone a vehicle or a house or a swimming pool or gold or whatever or bitcoin you can't take any of that with you in fact bitcoin you can't take with because you can't even find it <laughs> but seriously we are stewarding until we leave then someone else gets it. It stays on the planet because all the wealth, the Bible says, is the Lord's ultimately. So we're using what he gave until we go. Let's make sure we use it correctly. And the more you say it's mine, the more selfish you become, the more arrogant we become, and then we're not willing to give tithes and offering because it's mine. People say when it comes to money, it's my money. Don't tell me what to do with it. And, and they say this, the church is always asking for money. Yes, just like your wife and your husband and your children and the people at the petrol station and the people in the department stores and then the receiver of revenue. Come on now. But why do we react? It's because we feel it's mine. No, it's actually the Lord's. And what you do with it, you do it on his behalf. Now he gives you the blessing of using it but somehow we need to change our perspective. How many of you parents in the room and in Kalami this morning, you've gone shopping with small children and, and then they complain, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And then you take them to a food court and you order a meal for them, but you don't order the chips because you know, hey, I'm on a, especially when you're 40 something parents, you're like, no, we've got to just lean chicken. But then when you're sitting there eating and they are busy on their phones and they're not eating their chips, you reach over to maybe take two. What do they usually do? They don't say, oh, wonderful mom and dad. They pull it, it's mine. How come they just forgot that you 
bought that for them. Isn't that how we are with God? He gives us everything, but we don't give him two chips back. They're always asking for my money. It's all about the money. No, 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 don't, don't get caught up in that nonsense. When Peter and John in the book of Acts were on their way to church, they came across a lame man. Do you remember the story? There's this lame man, if you don't know the story, and he's asking for alms. They don't stop and say, you're always at church asking for money. They say, such as we have, give we unto you. Let's not complain that the church is asking for money. Let's realize it's not mine, and let me give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and let me enjoy the rest with God's blessing over it. Can you say amen? John Wesley said this, don't you know that God entrusted you with that money above what buys necessities for your families? to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, and indeed, as far as it will go, to relieve the wants of all mankind? How can you, how dare you, defraud the Lord by applying it to any other purpose? Pretty bold statement. Number four, this is another myth that people have, that they believe. It's another myth that people believe. Money will make me happy. Money will make me happy. Most people think that if they earn just a little bit more, they'd be happier. It's not true, church. It's a myth. Just ask people who have accumulated wealth and possessions if they are massively happier than they were when they earned a little. They'll tell you no if they're honest. It's wonderful to drive a nice car. It's wonderful to dress nicely. It's wonderful to have a wonderful home to live in. But it doesn't make you super happy. It makes you happy, but it's quite marginal. We live in an estate where there are 92 houses, and uh, some of them are quite expensive. Some of the people there have built some magnificent homes. But often when you walk past, they avoid greeting you. The joy of the Lord is definitely not evident. <laughs> Yet the cars in the driveway are top of the, top of the line. The homes are, have all the best underfloor heating and everything else. You see, money doesn't make you happy. I've been into poor suburbs in Cape Town where I grew up. And you go to Mitchell's Plain and people don't even own their own houses. And there they sit outside with a big smile. Come inside, have something to eat. What is it? You see, it's not about money. It's about attitude. And we mustn't, we mustn't buy the lie that money buys happiness. It really doesn't. I believe real happiness comes when you're not in debt. Charles Dickens in his eighth novel, David Copperfield, he, he says this, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 19.6, result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 20 pounds, autumn six, result, misery. <laughs> Isn't that putting it pretty profoundly? How I many you know when you've got money left over, you tend to be happier? But you can have much and you, you'll spend up to that limit. The key is to be happy with what you've got and not to put your trust in money. Voltaire said, don't think money does everything or you're going to end up doing everything for money. Oh, money's money. No, it's not. And remember the Beatles song in 1994? What did they sing? 
I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I've seen people who will marry for money, but it's unhappiness because money is not as important as love. And girls, I know you've been taught to look for some man that's well-established. It's better than someone without a job. But I tell you what, love is an important agreement. We, we've, we've had business, but before we had business, we went well off. And after our business, we went to the ministry, we went well off. What's kept our marriage together? It's not been money. It's not, it's not been Pastor Vilma saying, oh, he looks after me so well. No, it's been we're together in the purposes of God. And no matter what we earn, we have each other. Money can't buy happiness. It can't buy happiness. Cecil John Rhodes was once asked by a man, you know, he had done so, done so well with his life, and, and he said to him, you ought to be happy, and congratulations, and Cecil John Rhodes looked back at him and replied, happy? No, I spent my life amassing a fortune only to find that I've spent half of it on doctors to keep me out of the grave, and the other half on lawyers to keep me out of jail. Number five, another myth that we buy into is this. It is carnal to give expecting to receive. How many of you have heard Christians tell you, you shouldn't give expecting to receive? Well, the Bible tells you the exact opposite. In fact, the words of Jesus himself in Luke chapter six say this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. And now Jesus here uses an incentive. He says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, don't just give, because you ought to give, and I'm telling you to give. He says, give, and look what will happen. God gives us incentives by promising us rewards. In fact, we need to believe in what's called the law of resupply. I'm giving today, Lord, but you're going to resupply me. Lord, I don't have much, but out of what I have, I'm giving to you. Lord, I've got some debts at the moment. I haven't managed my money well, but I'm giving my tithe, and I'm trusting you for the law of resupply. That's not wrong. That's faith. No farmer sows seed going, well, I now ought to put seed in the ground. I think God wants me to. No, he puts that one seed in thinking there's going to be 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's good farming. God's people were strangely quiet. They're clapping in Kailami, but it's very quiet in Santon. <laughs> now the Apostle Paul, he talks about the law of resupply, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Farming term. Now watch this. Now he who supplies seed, God's a supplier, to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. We're promised that when we put God first, there'll be a supply. And so we should give expecting to receive. How many remember when Elijah came across a widow in 1 Kings 17, and there was a famine in the land, and she was on her last legs, little bit of oil, little bit of flour, and he said to her, go and make me a cake first. She's just told him, we're gonna eat this and die. He says, no, no, put God first. Make me first a cake, and she does. Guess what happens? The law of resupply kicks in. She ends up with a supply for three and a half years. Some of us, we need to start giving with faith. Every time you put your envelope in, I believe you, Lord. 
I'm giving my tithe. I'm being faithful. I'm trusting you for supply. When you put offerings in, Lord, I'm trusting you. I know I need a holiday. Lord, I'm trusting you for expenses while I'm on holiday. The rand is ridiculous when I go overseas, but I'm trusting you. It's not wrong. It's faith. <laughs> Giving to God is like sending your money on ahead. It's like putting it in a lift that goes to heaven. Now notice what it says here in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 6 verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Notice it doesn't say store up for God. It says whenever you give, you expect that in heaven there's going to be something for you. Look again, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul's speaking to Timothy about rich people. He says command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. But he doesn't stop there. He says and willing to share. Then he brings an incentive. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Can you see God encourages us to expect something from him? And can I say this? You don't just expect a physical reward or an eternal reward. You need to also expect an emotional reward. There's satisfaction in giving. Acts chapter 20. Look at this verse. Paul speaking about the words of Jesus. He says the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know it hurts you physically when you don't give? It hurts you eternally, and it hurts you on the earth. Giving is just good all round. You feel good, you get a return on earth, and you get a return in heaven. And we must give expecting to receive. Notice Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, your tithe of all your produce. Then your bonds will be filled with plenty. It, won't, it doesn't say you'll have enough. It says your bonds will be filled with plenty. And Frank once said, no one has ever become poor by giving. And so we should give expecting a return. Number six, are you still with me? The time ticketh. Poverty is noble, prosperity is a heresy. How many of you have heard that myth? Oh, poor people are more righteous than the rich. It's much better to be poor than to be rich. No, 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 poverty is a curse in the Bible. Prosperity is a blessing. And every time God speaks to people, he speaks pointing to prosperity. Let's not get this wrong though. Poor people are not poor sometimes because of their own fault. They're trapped in poverty. But God always points out of poverty to prosperity. He doesn't say stay there. You're more spiritual than them. He points to blessing. And whenever God got hold of people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, what happened to them? They became rich. We never hear people talking about Abraham being rich. Why? It's scandalous. But that's one of the signs of God's hand on his life. It's not always a sign of God's hand, but we read about it in the Bible. Look at Isaac. Let me read you Genesis 26. It says, Isaac planted crops in that land in the same year, reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. It wasn't punishment. He didn't steal it. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow. For some of you, these are two swear words there. Until he became, come on, say it. He became, see, some of you would say became stinking rich. If you call it stinking, you'll never have it. You see, being rich, can I say, being rich and being wealthy are two different things. You can be rich from winning the lottery, but wealth comes by building a mindset and a thinking and you don't lose it. Wealth is strength, riches are fleeting. And I'll talk about that next week. Look here, Genesis 31, Jacob. Jacob's sons were peeved with Jacob because he came there as just a worker. But look what they said. It says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this what? 
wealth from what belonged to our father. It was an unfounded accusation. He came there as just a worker. Where did he end up? He ended up wealthy. How? God's blessing and hard work. Here's another one, 1 Chronicles 29, speaking of David. It says he died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life. What else? Wealth and honor. And his son Solomon succeeded him as king. I believe in prosperity. Do you? Mike Murdoch described prosperity like this. He said, prosperity is simply having enough of God's provision to complete his assignment for your life. You see, church, what happens to us is people take verses out of the Bible and they take them out of context. A verse has a context or it becomes a pretext. And people use verses on prosperity as a pretext. People use verses against prosperity as a pretext. We have to take the whole Bible because the whole Bible is like a collage. Have you noticed that? It makes up a picture of truth, but it has different dimensions. And people love to pull out one verse. Have you noticed how they pull out one verse? Lately, the favorite verse that people have been pulling out and using on Christians is, you said, the Bible says you're supposed to love one another. As if Jesus only said that. They quickly forget that Jesus also said, unless you hate father and mother, brothers and sisters, you can't be my disciple. Funny how they forgot that one. You see, when you pull a verse out, you don't get the whole picture. Jesus didn't just speak about love. He spoke about a lot of things. So look at this picture on the screen quickly. Can you see this as a collage? All these pictures make up this girl. But if you pulled one out, if you just isolate one, I mean, you know, it's not that girl. And that's how the Bible works. You pull out one verse, it suddenly starts to look weird, and we'd all agree, hey, that's not what God's saying. But when you put that picture back, back into that girl, it becomes all of her. Look at this picture of Marilyn Monroe. I mean, you know, all these pictures of Marilyn make her. Not one of them describes her adequately. If you pulled one of them out, you wouldn't get true Marilyn. I'm sorry I'm using her because the only one I could find. But look at this collage of Jesus. If you pulled one of these pictures out, you wouldn't get the real Jesus. And this is what people like to say. Jesus never said anything about prosperity. No, he, he did. He said it in the whole Bible because Jesus is the word. Come on now. So we've got to be careful we don't believe myths or we'll end up impoverished and we won't end up where God intends. Number seven, quickly, I've got a couple of moments. Are you benefiting from this? Number seven, this is the one where people keep beating this drum. Tithing is the law and only Old Testament. That's a myth, people. Some of you say, what's tithing? It's 10% of your gross income. And that doesn't mean your income's gross. It just means before tax. <laughs> that belongs to God. And some will tell you, oh, that's under the law. No, no, tithing started before the law. Cain and Abel were told to tithe. That's why the Lord said, if you do, right. Abraham tithed before the law. And how many of you know the law required things, but the New Testament, those requirements are even higher. So if you think tithing's under the law, we should be giving 20%. They're very quiet in this Methodist church this morning. <laughs> are, you, am I, are, you, are, you, are you getting my point? You see, because the law said you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, <laughs> if you even look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. The law said, thou shalt not murder. Jesus said, oh, uh, it's way up here. If you call someone fool, you're guilty of murder. So surely, if it's Old Testament, New Testament should make it higher. You see, this is what people don't understand. Some things come from the Old Testament and they go through the cross. 
They go through the cross, and when they come out the other side, they stay the same. One of them is tithing. It's a principle that Jesus endorsed for running God's church, for sustaining God's workers, and for building God's kingdom. It hasn't changed. It carries on. And there are a number of other, I don't have much time this morning, but there are a number of other things that go through the cross. The moral laws, like stealing. The sexual laws haven't changed. God's view of sexuality is still the same today. People say, oh, you stone virgins, but you don't condone certain sexual practices. Yes, because some things go through the cross and fall away. Some things go through the cross and stay the same. You've got to understand the collage of the Bible. Am I making sense today? And so there are those things that stay the same. Health laws, marriage, it stays the same. Then secondly, there's some things that go through the cross and they change. In the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, it changed from law and blood sacrifice to faith. So those things change, and I don't have time this morning, but there's some things that change. But then there's some things that go through the law and they fall away. We don't do them anymore. We don't have ceremonial uh, washing of hands. We don't have temple sacrifices. We don't stone virgins. We don't have corporal punishment for certain things. Those, some of those things have fallen away. You've got to know what goes through, what changes, and what falls away. And most people who don't even know the Bible want to tell us what it is. And you create myths. Tithing is God's plan for sustaining his church. Church, I think people who won't tithe, it's not that they have a doctrinal problem, they have a heart problem. Doesn't it make sense? This is on the screen. If it takes money to run a hospital, it also takes money to run a spiritual hospital. If it takes money to run a family, it also takes money to run a spiritual family. If it takes money to run an army, it also takes money to run a spiritual army. And you know what? When we don't tithe, you know what happens? We impoverish ourselves, not just the church. I'll close with this verse, Haggai chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. See, because it affects you when you don't give. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your full. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You see, when you don't put God first in managing your money and you believe myths, guess what? You have all the 100%, but you don't have the blessing. When you give God the 10%, you end up with the 90 with His blessing. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.